0: While First Kings is a chronicle of both Israel and Judah's history, uh, the chronicles chronicle just Judah's history. And so there's a lot more uh, regarding the kings of Judah in, in the chronicles. And, uh, and so Jehoshaphat, if you remember, we had our, our chart of kings up, and we'll put it up again as we get into Second Kings. But uh, you have uh, Saul, the first king of Israel, And then the kingdom is ripped out of Saul's hand and given to David. Uh, David had uh, many sons, but the son who the Lord had uh, ordained to be king was uh, one of his younger sons, Solomon, and uh, Solomon had a son named Rehoboam, and it was during Rehoboam's reign that there was civil war. In uh, Israel and this, the nation was split into the ten northern kingdoms called Israel And then the two southern kingdoms called Judah, you'll remember And so Rehoboam, Solomon's son, was the first king of Judah out of the line of David And uh, Jeroboam was the first king of Israel And so Rehoboam had a son named Abijam And Abijam had a son named Asa now, on that chart that I had for you, um, uh, there I put stars next to all of the the good kings, and a star went next to asa's name, Asa, just a an awesome man in the scriptures, a man who stood for righteousness and banished the perverted persons from the land, uh, those that were involved in adultery uh, adultery, uh, immorality, you know just The heinous sexual type of sins and idolatry. Good King Asa kicked all of that out of the land and banished the the perverted persons. Asa was the king whose grandma, if you can believe it, his grandma was a pervert. You know, you don't hear of that very often, but grandma, you know, put up these huge images of Ashtoreth and Chemosh all over the country, very seductive, pornographic statues Uh, that would cause the men of the nation to fall into idolatry and, with their minds, adultery. And so, uh, not only did Asa rip down all of grandma's nasty artwork, but he also dethroned his grandma from being king or queen, uh, and so just a neat guy Asa was, and you remember uh, in, in chapters, I believe, 15 and 16 of Second Chronicles that the Egyptians came and made war with Asa, um, over a million-man army uh, fighting against Asa, and the Lord delivered him, and it was just a, an awesome thing, but then uh, King Bashan from Israel attacked Asa. And rather than calling on the Lord who delivered him from a million-man army, uh, the Lord called on Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, to come and help him. And he did. Ben-Hadad did a great job helping him from the king of Israel. And, you know, uh, that, that little battle was, was won for Judah. But remember, a prophet came up to Esau after that and said, Have you forgotten about the God who delivered you from the million-man Egyptian army? Don't you seek him? Instead, you go to wicked King Ben-Hadad for advice and for help. And he said, you know, the Lord's displeased with that about you. And it's just a a message for us that even the best men are men at best. You know, even the kings with the gold stars next to their name are just men at best. We know that from David, who was the example of, all throughout the old testament of a of a godly man and a godly king and uh, and then also later on in Asa's life he after that prophet confronted him he got mad at that prophet and threw him in jail and then started kind of persecuting people a little bit and at the end of his life we see he died from a foot disease and it says there at the end of chapter 16 that uh that he sought the physicians regarding his foot disease but he didn't seek the lord And right there, that that prophet had said to him, you know, the Lord's eyes are going to and fro throughout the whole world, searching for those whose hearts are loyal to him so that he might show himself strong on their behalf. And so Asa gets a gold star, good man, good king. You know, on on the early part of his life, it says he tore down the high places, but at the end of his life, the people kind of started building them back up. And he didn't confront them on it. And we're going to see a lot of similarities between good king Asa and his son tonight, good king Jehoshaphat. So Jehoshaphat gets a gold star next to his name as well, (coughs) at least in my book, for what it's worth. So chapter 17, verse 1, then Jehoshaphat, his son, that's Asa's son, reigned in Asa's place and strengthened himself against Israel. And he placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa, his father, had taken. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat. Why was he with Jehoshaphat? Because he walked in the former ways of his great-grandfather, David. He did not seek the Baals did not seek the Baals, he was obedient to the Lord. Verse 4, he sought the God of his father and walked in the commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. So he's a Judean, remember, but Israel, the ten northern kingdoms, they were led by Jeroboam to start worshiping calves, worshiping calves up in Dan and at Bethel, these golden calves. They didn't learn their lesson with Moses and Aaron and that whole Situation coming out of Egypt. Don't worship the golden calf. If there's one thing from history, you don't want to do that. And here they are again doing that. And not just that, but that led to the whole nation falling away from the Lord and falling into apostasy, worshiping the Baals and the Asterisks and the Chemoshes and false gods, sexual gods, gods that uh, would require infant sacrifice and things like that. But right now, Judah's in a really good place following hard after God and keeping the commandments, being obedient. And all throughout First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, the theme is where there's obedience, there's... You guys are kind of quiet tonight. What's up with that? I don't even have a voice, and I'm talking louder than you guys. Where there's obedience, there's reward or blessing. Where there's disobedience, there's judgment. And so you just see that in the contrast so far of, of Israel and Judah. Verse 5, therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand and all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat and he had riches and honor in abundance. Kind of reminds you of Solomon's reign, you know, all the victory that he had uh, in his early years and, you know, just so much wealth in the nation. Remember it says like if you found silver laying around, it was like finding a rock or a pebble on the ground. That's how silver was just nothing. You know, don't even waste your energy picking, over up, picking up silver in those days. You know, and, and early on in Solomon's life where there was obedience, there was blessing. And here we see, you know, just riches and honor and abundance And his heart. Underline this. If you have a pen, if you don't have a pen, start bringing pens to church, would you? Underline this. His heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and the wooden images from Judah and His heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. You know, sometimes, you know, it doesn't just say he did the ways of the Lord or he accomplished the ways of the Lord. It was his delight. You know, is is going to church a delight to you? You know, is is reading the Bible a delight? Is worshiping a delight? Or is it kind of a a have-to thing or, you know, I'm doing out of compulsion or out of obligation? Uh, But man, let's... Let's be like Jehoshaphat and just delight in the ways of the Lord. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, just, I was asked yesterday by a man, you know, what are you teaching on tomorrow? And I said, teaching on Jehoshaphat, and I'm really excited about it. He's like, do you like the kings? And I go, yeah, I, do, I like the kings. I go, they're kind of my weakness. You know, I'm really excited to be teaching through them because they've always been my, what, what kings what now, which kings which? Uh, maybe you feel like that. But he, you know, he goes. Why do you like teaching the kings? And I, and it, what's 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 it worth? Why do it? And uh, I just said, you know, First Corinthians says that chapter ten that the Old Testament's uh, writings are examples for us on what to do and what not to do. And haven't you just seen that as we've walked through it? Like, oh, don't be like Ahab, you know. Don't marry a Jezebel. Not going to turn out good for you, you know. Don't be like Solomon and. Marry 700 wives and 300 concubines. Not going to turn out good for you, you know. And, um, and so it's just good to be here where we're reading about a king that delighted in the ways of the Lord. And you can chalk that up to something that, uh, that you want to do. You definitely want to do that. Verse 7. Uh, also in the third year of his reign, he sent his leaders, Ben-Hale, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathaniel, Micaiah, to teach the cities of Judah. Underline that if you got a pen. And with them he sent Levites, and there's the names of the Levites, and uh, the priests in verse 9. So they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them, or the Torah, or the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And they went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. Kind of reminds you of what we talked about on Sunday, huh? The revival at the water gate in Nehemiah chapter 8, where Ezra the scribe stood up on the platform and just started reading the law. And the people's hearts melted when the book was read. And they began to raise their hands up and say, amen, amen. And then there were so many people that other priests had to go around and, and read too, read also and give the sense and explain the scriptures and revival took place. And you just know that Jehoshaphat is just remembering that Psalm chapter one of David where blessed is the man. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And in it, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. You know, it it won't fall over. Its roots are dug down deep. And he says, that's what I want the people of my kingdom to be marked by. A love for the word, a meditation in the word of God. And, you know, I just encourage you, maybe you're here tonight and your roots are about a quarter of an inch down into the ground. You don't have a lot of the Word in you. And one little one little drop of rain on your leaf is going to make you fall over and become imbalanced. And let me just encourage you, love the Word, delight in the Word, and your roots will grow down deep. You'll have a great foundation. And so uh, just neat strength happening there in Judah. And, you know, when verse 9 happens, verse 10 happens when the word of God is being taught then fear of the Lord falls on all the kingdoms of the lands you know that were around Judah so that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat you know isn't that neat you know a lot of kings they would they would marry uh, the daughters of other kings remember Solomon married Pharaoh to try and make peace with Pharaoh of Egypt and that wasn't the Lord's heart you know if 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 Solomon would have just sought the Lord and obeyed the Lord and then fear would have just fallen on those lands and he wouldn't have had to do that. And so we see that Jehoshaphat's reign is marked by victory against these other nations just because, you know, the Holy Spirit was just strong in Judah at the time. And some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and silver as tributes. You guys know who the Philistines are? All throughout David's reign, these are the guys that, you know, hated David and, you know, just wanted to murder David. And there was always war with the Philistines and wicked guys, like probably one of the worst enemies that Israel had. And here they are bringing presents. You know, how does that happen? And uh, the Arabians brought him flocks, 7,700 rams and 7,700 male goats. So Jehoshaphat became increasingly powerful and he built fortresses and storage cities in Judah. He had much property in the cities of Judah, and the men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem. And we're going to read in the next five or six verses here about the mighty men of valor that were under Jehoshaphat. And doesn't that remind you of David? David would train up and always had these mighty men of valor uh, following after him. We're going to read by the end of this chapter, one million 160,000 mighty men of valor who could handle a sword and a, and a shield would, would follow after Jehoshaphat. I mean, that's a, good, that's a good number of troops, wouldn't you agree? Not just troops either, but mighty men of valor. And uh, these are their numbers according to their father's houses, you know. And we'll just kind of breeze through that. 300,000, uh, 280,000, 200,000, verse sixteen: two hundred thousand uh, mighty men of valor. Notice there in verse 16 that... the these guys followed Amaziah, the son of Sekri, underline this, who willingly offered himself to the Lord. He willingly offered himself to the Lord. And if you look in Judges chapter 5, Deborah has this song, the song of uh, Deborah and uh, Barak. And if, you, if you're, you're fast, or you don't even have to flip there, verse 2 in Judges 5, here's their song. It said, when the leaders lead in Israel... When the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord, you know, as as the elders of this church have been meeting, we've just been encouraging each other to just, that the things we do and the time that we put in and the energies that we spend serving and pouring ourselves out, that it would never be a have-to thing. Oh, I have to, I have to be at that meeting, or I have to be at the Pulse on Thursday night, but it would be a get-to thing. We Willingly offer ourselves to the Lord Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 That I pour myself out As a drink offering on the Sacrifice and service of your Faith and I'm glad For it you know and may that Be your guys's case too I mean We want more than five elders On the elder board you know we want Men who are you know That are called to that not all men are Called to being elders some called to be deacons Others are called to be prophets and Teachers and so on and so forth but We want you guys to be being raised up, you know? And so just everyone right now, just search your heart. Am I willing to be spent for the Lord in children's ministry? We've got a children's ministry meeting this Sunday after church where, you know, where hopefully people that want to help out will come, you know, that they see the need and they notice that for seven months there's been an announcement in the bulletin that, for goodness sakes, our children's ministers are overwhelmed back there. Could you donate a service on a Sunday, you know? And, and well, yeah, we don't want you there if it's a half to thing But man, if the Lord's nudging on your heart Lord, let it be a get-to thing Let it be a get-to thing that I could come and serve And just willingly give myself over to the Lord I just love that about Amaziah, don't you? Um, of Benjamin, you know, another 200,000 men armed with bow and shield And next to him was Jehoshabad, And with him 180,000 prepared for war These served the king Besides those, the king put in fortified cities throughout all Judah. So uh, just a neat uh, kingdom set up there under Jehoshaphat. Chapter 18 is something that we've already gone through, so we're not going to go through the whole chapter. But in verse uh, (coughs) 1, Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance, and by marriage he allied himself with Ahab. Are there any red flags going up here? Nothing? Not thinking of Solomon right now? Not thinking of... First Kings chapter 11, you know how Solomon took hundreds and hundreds of wives from the various kings throughout the world to establish some sort of peace treaty with them. No red, no one, you guys remembering that, you know, because he did that, the warning came true that they would turn his heart away from the Lord to serve their gods. And, uh, you know, praise the Lord. It doesn't go that far with Jehoshaphat where his heart is turned away, but we do see some consequences uh, Even years later When we get to 2nd Kings chapter 11 We're going to see that um, That his grandson is put in danger Jehoshaphat's grandson is put in danger Because his mom goes on some sort of weird Psycho killing spree And kills all of the sons There and uh, Someone hid away this child of Or grandchild of Jehoshaphat Hid him away So that he, Kind of a Moses type story And so uh, there could have been some bad stuff Coming out of that Um unity there and and later we will see that but and so verse 2 after some years he went down to visit and and, uh or excuse me i I should note too it wasn't jehoshaphat that married someone in ahab's house it was jehoshaphat's son that married uh, ahab's daughter so the daughter of jezebel you know what was he thinking you know what was he thinking doing that after some years he went down to visit ahab in samaria and ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him and the people who were with him, and persuaded him to go up with them to Ramath Gilead. So Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Will you go with me against Ramath Gilead? And he answered him, I am as you are, and my people as your people. We will be with you in the war. And so, because his daughter in law is Ahab's daughter, he has to go and fight, you know, my, my in-laws are in trouble, you know, my in-laws, you know, we've had land stolen from us, this area of Ramath gilead you know, we better go fight for it, My my in-laws are pleading for me, I'm their ally, I'd better go. And so he goes, and you guys remember the story from last week that, you know, it was really neat that Jehoshaphat was a man of prayer, we're going to see later, he's a man that seeks after the Lord, and as he gets there, and they're about to go into battle with Syria, He says, isn't there anybody here who will seek after the Lord to see if we'll win this battle? And you remember Jehoshaphat had 400 false prophets kind of dancing before him, prophesying that we'll win the battle, we'll win the battle. And remember, Jehoshaphat says, isn't there anybody left that will prophesy from Yahweh, from the Lord, if we'll win the battle? And what did Ahab say? There's one guy, but I hate him because he never prophesies good about me. He always prophesies evil. And so they went and they found this guy named Micaiah. And Micaiah, you know, kind of sarcastically said, oh, go on up, you'll win. And then Ahab goes, do I have to pay you to make me tell, to tell you the truth? Tell me the truth for goodness sakes. All right, you want the truth? The truth is in the spiritual realm, God was looking for someone that would come and deceive you to trip you up, to send you into battle so that you'd get killed in it because that's how wicked you are. And remember, Zedekiah came and punched him in the face and, uh, you know, kind of an an interesting story, but we already went through it. And and the prophecy went forth that uh, Ahab's blood was going to be shed in this battle and the dogs would lick it up. And uh, as they went out into the battle, Ahab dressed like just a normal soldier, but that didn't protect him. They ended up killing him anyways. An archer's uh, arrow found a joint in Ahab's armor and killed him and uh You'll remember, though, that Jehoshaphat was at the battle and was still dressed like a king, and everybody went after him thinking he was Ahab. And it says that Jehoshaphat cried out to the Lord, and the Lord saved him in the midst of the battle. And everyone got distracted and left Jehoshaphat. And so just kind of an interesting story that we already went through. But the problem, we're in chapter 19 now. Flip over there. Quick, wait, quick, quick zip through chapter 18, huh? There was a problem with Jehoshaphat going to battle here. It says, after Ahab died, then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned safely to his house in Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the prophet, went out to meet him. And he said to King Jehoshaphat, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. So good King Jehoshaphat, who has a star by his name, he's a good king. You know, he gets rebuked by the Lord by a prophet, similar to how his dad was once rebuked by a prophet. You know, we all are. Every man gets rebuked. Every Christian needs chastening and corrections, Hebrews chapter 12 tells us. Because the Lord loves us, he corrects us. Like a dad loves his son and corrects his son. And he says, you know, what are you doing going and helping Ahab, the wickedest king that Israel's ever seen? What are you doing? You know, the Lord was displeased and there was wrath. Upon Jehoshaphat because of that. In verse 3, Nevertheless, good things are found in you and that you have removed the wooden images from the land and have prepared your heart to seek God. It's kind of interesting, huh? How there was anger because of sin. You know, the Lord's anger was aroused because of sin. And yet we never see Jehoshaphat tasting of that wrath, tasting of that anger. And you know, Paul tells us that God hasn't appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation through his son and in the same little passage that you read about the lord being displeased you see the lord's pleasure as well you know you have good things found in you you've removed these wooden images these idols from the land and notice he's prepared his heart to seek god or he's set his heart to seek god that's an amazing attribute uh you know we're told that if you uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness Then everything else will be added unto you And uh, and we just see just the Lord's favor Even though he messed up You know, Even though in the midst of that battle Where he had united himself with Ahab And he could have been killed in that battle You know the wages of sin is death, is it not? The Bible tells us He cried out to the Lord during a time of compromise And the Lord heard him Are you in a time of compromise tonight? You know, do you look at your life and you just see, man, I've blown it. You know, I know the Lord's righteous standards and I'm dabbling in areas of unrighteousness and compromise. And you know what? Tonight, the Lord's wrath can be turned from you. You know, you can taste of his mercy, his tender mercies can be upon you. And you can call out to him in the midst of the battle, in the midst of your compromise, and he can come and save you if you'll just be willing and call out to him there. You know, it it seemed like a good thing, though, to unite with Ahab. No, it didn't really, but a lot of people would say that. Isn't unity good? Doesn't David say in the Psalm of Ascension, oh, how good it is, good, how good and pleasant it is that brethren dwell together in unity? It's like oil flowing down and dripping off the beard of Aaron, David says. Unity is good. It really is. You know what that Psalm is talking about is when Christians are united, the Holy Spirit is at work, radically the oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit dripping down off the priest's beard, dripping on the ground. You know, the Holy Spirit's just all over a place that has unity, but it has to be unified in the truth, it has to be unified in the word of God. You know, C.H. Uh, McIntosh said that, uh, you know, in the essentials, we have to have unity. In the non-essentials, you know, we, we can have Grace. But in all things, we have to have love. You know, there's certain things in Christian doctrine that we will not budge on. You will not get my feet to move. The deity of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit being God, you know, the creator. You know, there's a lot of things that are, you know, I will not budge and we must have unity within the church. You know, then there's certain things that, you know, no one really knows exactly and it's kind of gray areas and, you know, one church teaches it one way and, uh, you know, spiritual gifts might be one of those things. It's a non-essential. And there's grace for that, you know, people trying to figure out what the words teach in there in those passages. But in all things, we've got to have love, you know, and so, um, but you can never have unity at the expense of truth. And that's what Jehoshaphat did. He brought unity with King Ahab but did you read what he said there at the beginning of chapter 18? He said, verse 3 towards the end, I am as you are and my people as your people. That was a lie. They're having unity in a lie. Judah wasn't like Israel. Judah was on fire going through a period of revival. And uh, you know that very well could have been quenched and, and probably was quenched because of this uniting there that uh, was based upon a lie you know we 're not like Israel. Israel is an apostate country that 's fallen away from God, fallen away from the truth and so uh, there 's the rebuke, but there 's also the good thing seen in Jehoshaphat verse four so Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem, and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the mountains of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord God of their fathers so there 's a neat thing there you know oh, he 's bringing people back. To the Lord, and uh, then he set judges in the land throughout all the fortified cities in Judah, city by city. He would set judges up, and you know the law said to do that—to set judges up, experienced men, full of wisdom and uh, godly men who can judge. And uh, and he said to the judges, "Take heed to what you are doing, for you do not judge for man, but for the Lord who is with you in the judgment." And so, man, that's just so on our church leadership's heart, you know, as we go through times where decisions have to be made or conflict is there, and we just have to seek the Lord and seek his word. What does the word say? You know, uh, you know what's the, the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts through prayer? If you remember a couple months ago, the elders were just in a trial that we just didn't know what to do, and so we had the prayer meeting pray for us on Thursday nights, you know, we we had to take heed to what we were doing because um, we were judging for the Lord. We were making a judgment for the Lord. And, it, and notice it says, he who is with you, uh, he's with you in the judgment. And How comforting that is that the Lord's in the midst there. And uh, it says, now therefore let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it for there's no iniquity with the Lord our God. No partiality nor taking of bribes. And in Deuteronomy, it says, you know, when those judges were to judge, not to have partiality, because that would be skewing the judgments of the Lord and the righteousness of the Lord. If someone was, you know, two people are in the court and one is a wealthy, attractive person, the other perhaps is poor and and, uh, homely, you know, and he has partiality because of the wealth or the appearance, then that's, he's... He's appearing to judge for the Lord there, and that's not right. So the Lord warns them. You don't have partiality, whether it's your best friend sitting out there in the judgment seat or whatever. Uh, you know, don't accept bribes, it says, because that also skews the righteousness of God. Verse 8 uh, Moreover, in Jerusalem, for the judgment of the Lord and for controversies, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites and priests and some of the chief fathers of Israel. And they returned to Jerusalem, and uh, he commanded them, saying, Thus you shall act in the fear of the Lord, faithfully and with a loyal heart. If you have a pen, will you underline that? Thus you shall act in the fear of the Lord. And so uh, twice in this chapter, just this short little 11-verse chapter, we read about these judges needing to walk in the fear of the Lord. You know, David wrote in a psalm in Second Samuel 23, let he who judges judge with the fear of the Lord. What is that? What is the fear of the Lord? You know, when Teddy Roosevelt was a kid, his mom couldn't get him to go into church. He was terrified every time he got to the church. He wouldn't go in whether there were people there or whether he was by himself. She couldn't get Teddy Roosevelt, you know, Mr., uh, Wear the cowboy hat, shoot the African animals And, you know, the Rough Riders guy, you know Couldn't get him to go into church as a kid And she asked him, why won't you go in there? And he said, because the zeal is in there She's like, what are you talking about? You know, the zeal He's like, I don't know, the zeal's in there I heard the preacher talk about it one day And, and, and it's, it's probably like an alligator or some sort of bear And now you know why he went out killing all those <laughs> alligators and bears, you know And I don't know what it is, some kind of monster and so Teddy Roosevelt's mom got a concordance out and started looking throughout all the verses about zeal. And sh- sure enough, in John chapter two, she read about how the zeal in the house of the Lord has eaten me up, it says, you know, and so Teddy was thinking, oh my gosh, something's going to eat me in there in that church, you know? And so, you know, we're, we're told as Christians to fear the Lord, but it's not, you know, some monster that's living in the church is going to come out and eat us. Uh, It's not a terror-type fear. Now, if you're not a Christian here tonight, you do need to have a terror-type fear about the Lord Uh, because it says that uh, the Lord is is able. You know, Don't fear men who can just kill your body, but fear Him who's able to destroy both your body and your soul in hell. And the fear that if you're not a Christian here tonight, you need to have a fear because one day you will be judged by a holy God. And He's going to look at your life and He's going to see your sin. And he's going to say, you know what, buddy, you got black marks all over your, your garments. You know, I can't let you into heaven. You got to have white garments on to get in here. You know, that's why Isaiah says, you know, come, let us reason together. You know, though your sins may be as scarlet, I'll wash you as white as snow. And if you come to Jesus tonight, no longer do you have to fear in a terror type way. But now that we're Christians, we fear in a reverence sort of way and even more than a respect for the Lord, uh, you know, there's this understanding that, you know, there's, there's consequences for sin. And when we sin, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Ephesians tells us, and I don't want to grieve the Lord, I don't want to make him sad. You know, and, and Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that, you know, we're to come and to worship him now uh, with reverence. For our God is a consuming fire with fear and reverence. We're to come and worship the Lord. And all throughout the Proverbs, you know, Proverbs was written to, uh, as the purpose of it was wisdom for young men. And uh, all throughout the Proverbs, it, the fear of the Lord is this. The fear of the Lord is this. And as you just read through it, the fear of the Lord is to hate all evil, we're told. To hate all evil. Do you fear the Lord tonight? Do you hate all evil? The fear of the Lord, it goes on in another chapter, is the beginning of Wisdom. Do you long for wisdom? Then, hey, bow the knee to the Lord. The fear of the Lord sanctifies us or sets us apart from the world, the Proverbs tells us. And, uh, you know, there's that beautiful song, We choose the fear of the Lord, for the fear of the Lord is to hate all evil. And, uh, Lord, would you just increase our fear tonight? If you look in Malachi, Malachi is the last book in the uh, Old Testament, right before Matthew. If you're Italian, it's Malachi. But um, apparently we only have one Italian in here. But uh, if you look there in chapter 3 of Malachi, look at verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. not cool? Those who fear the Lord, the Lord has a little... Book of remembrance about all that they cry out to him about. Those who meditate on his name and fear him. He hears you tonight. He's listening to you. You know, in uh, the book of Judges and in Deuteronomy, uh, there's lots of verses that go like this, kind of this flavor, you know, to set your heart to fear the Lord. And the fear of the Lord produces a heart that wants to serve him. And then it goes on, there's a a period, and then there's a short sentence with an exclamation point at the end, and it just goes, serve him, serve him. Do you fear the Lord tonight? Do you hate evil? Do you want wisdom? Do you want to be set apart? A fruit of that fear will be serving. And So if you're just, you know, examining your life, I don't really know, how am I really serving, you know, in the church, or uh, for just people outside the church, or, you know, serve him. Just let the Lord work that in you. You know, in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 9, I think it is, uh, the people fear the Lord, and I can't remember exactly what verse it is. Um, okay, yeah, verse, uh, verse 31 in Acts, chapter 9. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Do you guys want to see revival in Prineville? Do you want to see people come to Jesus? Walk in the fear of the Lord. You'll have peace in your heart. You'll have a look on your face like you've never had before. You know, you'll be able to walk in boldness and people will get saved through all of us fearing the Lord. People are edified. If you look over in Acts chapter 19, you know, all these miracles are performed in Ephesus during the uh, the apostles' work. And, you know, even so that, if Paul would have taken off his handkerchief, you know, or, or, you know, something and given it to somebody that was sick, they would have touched it and been healed. You know, there was incredible miracles going on. And uh, remember the seven sons of Sceva who weren't Christians and they were like, ooh, this looks like a pretty cool way to get attention and make some money. So they saw a guy that had demon possession in him and they went and they were like, in the name of Jesus and Paul, come out, You demons. And the demons spoke to these seven sons and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And they <laughs> they came out of this demon-possessed guy, and all these demons jumped to these seven sons of Sceva and beat them up and ripped their clothes off of them, so they ran away naked. And so it says that all the people in Ephesus feared. You know, they saw, wow, the spiritual realm is w- real, and demons are psycho, and Man, I want the one on my side who can conquer the demons. And so it says that the fear of the Lord um, spread throughout Ephesus, verse 17 of ni- chapter 19. This became known to all the Jews and the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord was magnified. When fear falls on us, the name of the Lord is magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who'd practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. And so wherever there is the fear of the Lord, there's revival you know, there's purity. People will confess their sins and hate uh, their evil ways. And, you know, uh, even Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, you know, he wrote 13 chapters of, I'm a rich king and I'm a hard worker and I'm going to get all the pleasure I can out of being a rich king and a hard worker. And so he says, so I set my mind to just taste of all the pleasures in the world, whether it was women, you know, a thousand wives, basically, the best food. Big business, fame, comedians, you know, any pleasure that you could think of, he went and set his heart to follow after it. Then at the end of Ecclesiastes, he said, you know what it was? It was all worthless. None of it satisfied. But here's the conclusion of it all, he says. Don't waste your time on the pleasures of the world, but fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. This is what it's all about. At the end of your life, when you're lying on your deathbed and you're breathing your last breath, you're not going to care about how many parties you got to go to or, you know, what countries you got to go vacation at or, you know, things like that. But you're going to be saying, what have I done for the Lord whom I'm about to see? Was my life worthless? Fear the Lord. And so these judges were sternly exhorted to, to walk in the fear of the Lord and uh, they're in chapter 19, you know, to act, verse 9, in the fear of the Lord and to act faithfully. To act faithfully and with a loyal heart. Remember, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole world, looking for a heart that's loyal to him so that he can be strong on that man or woman's behalf. Verse 10. Whatever case comes to you from your brethren who dwell in their cities, whether of bloodshed or offenses against law or commandment against statutes or ordinances, you shall warn them lest they trespass against the Lord and wrath come upon you and your brethren. Do this and you will not be guilty. So they're just stern to, you know, warn the people that are going to come into the court. So what, what would, doesn't really say what to warn them, right? My guess is, Warn them to fear the Lord, (laughs) you know, because as we fear the Lord, whether it's in our relationships that are friend-wise that are hurting or, you know, our business associates or someone we've done business, we're taking them to court, you know, uh, we're going to sue them. You know, if we fear the Lord, the Lord's going to change our heart on how that's supposed to look. In fact, look over in 1 Corinthians and I believe it is chapter... Just read it this morning Um, chapter 6 I think oh no wonder I was in 2nd Corinthians It's like that doesn't look like it at all We're almost done. Don't worry. We're not going to go through chapter 20 tonight I don't think my voice could handle it first Corinthians chapter 6 and check this out man If if the judges of that day were supposed to give a warning then here's a a warning for us in our day Chapter 6 verse 1 of first Corinthians dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous And not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more are things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there's not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. Now, therefore, it's already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat and you do these things to your brethren. So what a warning and an exhortation to us that should we have a problem with one another, and those problems do arise. I've been parts of those where, you know, you have the thought, maybe we should take them to court, you know. Maybe we should take them to the, the people's court, you know, or uh, Judge Judy or something like that, you know. And, and you know, did you hear it? You know, why do you take your case before people who are so literally esteemed before the Lord, you know? Judge Mills Lane, you know, or whatever, <laughs> Uh, the lord doesn 't really care about this guy 's judgment. you know if you have a problem with one another don 't show the world how bitter that you are and and this is what Christians act like chewing each other's out uh, chewing each other out and having discrepancies over seventy five bucks or five hundred bucks or something like that. but you know bring your your case before you know, the, the church or the wise men, you know, the elders, and let us pray about it. Let us pray for you. Come to the pulse, We'll pray that the Lord will be pre- bring peace and humility and, and show, you know, what a good compromise would be. You know, Paul even says, why not just let the other brother gain? He's your brother, for goodness sake. Let him prosper. But no, you don't do that. You, you got to take him to court and you got to make him look bad. You got to mar the name of Christ. And I just think that there's, there's just a good exhortation for us to, just keep short accounts with one another, so it never gets that far. And extend grace, and extend mercy, and let the other brothers win. And don't let them know that you let them do that. You know, well, I let you win, so I, I hope you're happy. You know, that doesn't bring peace. You know, but just say, you know, it, it's done. Don't worry about it, man. You know, I love you. Our, my relationships too important with you. And and I think we just have a couple of verses left there in chapter 19. Verse 11, and take notice, Amariah, the chief priest, is over you in all matters of the Lord. And Zebadiah the son of Ishmael, the rulers of the house of Israel, for all the kings matters. Also the Levites will be officials before you. And then you might want to underline this. What a good closing of the chapter. Behave courageously, and the Lord will be with the good. Be of good courage, the angel of the Lord told Joshua. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord our God is with you wherever you go. You know, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And don't be afraid. So Stuart, we'll go ahead and have you come on up. And you guys can put your Bibles down. And why don't we go ahead and stand. Lord, this evening, will you just let us get a glimpse of you in your holiness and in your splendor. And when we see how good and how pure and how perfect you are, may we fear you, God. May we not want to hurt you. May we just be prompted to obey. Lord, I just confess that there's just a lack of fear in my life, God. I just can see that if there was just that good, wholesome fear of you, that my life would just look different in a lot of ways. And So, Lord, I just choose the fear of the Lord tonight. I delight in your word. I delight in your word in my inward man. Lord, help me to hate evil. Help me to seek that wisdom and knowledge that's found through hating evil, Lord, and loving you. And we'll just, just respond in two different ways tonight. Just first of all, if you're here and you realize that you need to fear the Lord, but today it's because of you're going to be judged by Him, and, and today you can just put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you can be saved from your sins. All your sins can be forgiven and washed away, and The Spirit of God can come dwell inside you and make His home in you today. And no longer do you have to fear judgment or a certain expectation of hellfire. But today you can taste of His grace and find someone that loves you so much that you just never want to hurt Him. If that's you tonight, I just encourage you to just lift up your hand tonight and just say, Lord, that's me. I don't want to fear you for judgment purposes. Lord, tonight I confess with my hand lifted high that I fear you in reverence purposes, and I've seen what you've done for me by dying on the cross, and I love you, Lord, and I want to obey you, and I want to live for you, and I want my life to be yours. Is there anybody at all tonight? You can lift up your hand and say, man, I'm that person. I want that. Lord, I pray right now that you just show if there's those people in this room, you know who that is. Show them their, the heart, Lord, their heart. Show them the truth if that's them, Lord. And just tonight as we close, just we Christians, we can lift our hands up and just choose the fear of the Lord tonight. If you're just like, man, I can just see that I don't fear the Lord in a healthy way, but I just want to tonight and I choose that tonight. If that's you, just as we close, we can just lift our hands up. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County or to contribute to this ministry, check out our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com or you may write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thank you for listening and God bless.